Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, Philippians 1, Philippians 1.25. Did you have a great week? Thank you, Jesus. Someone here, you received a miracle last week. Share your testimony. <laughs> That's a simple word I have for you. Share your testimony. Because testimonies stare. They have a ripple effect. By one person's testimony, other people get to tap into that. Philippians 1.25 Read together, loud as you can, one, two, go. It says, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your fatherance and joy of faith. I want to challenge you this morning before I start. And my simple word to you this morning is this. Set a goal. Set a goal for your spirituality. Perhaps all your life you have attended church to tick the boxes. Oh, I was in church today. And to appease the guilt that you feel when you're not in church. But this verse challenges you to radically change your approach. It says, I will continue with you all for your fatherance of faith. So there is such a thing as fatherance of faith. Not just church gathering, not just regular attendance, but fatherance. So it's good that I come to church, but it's a means to an end. I ought to grow. I ought to grow. And a pastor is talking to his congregation. He says, I will continue with you all for your fatherance so my faith can be fathered. I can come to a point where I say, this is where I was in my understanding and my maturity when I joined this church and this is where I am now. Listen, that's why God sent us to you. Not so that there will be another church in Lekki but for the furtherance of your faith. Can I tell you something? If you ever in your life prayed that you wanted to know God more, you wanted to grow in your understanding of his word, take this church as the answer to your prayer. Because guess what? God will not train you by himself. I know that might surprise you. It might sound very esoteric and deep to say, um, God taught me this. And yeah, he does teach us things. But the primary way and the primary structure for education in the spirit realm is through men. And so God raises men with men. And so even if you are Cornelius and you have a supernatural encounter and you see an angel, you know what the angel will tell you? Send for a man named Peter. He will tell you words by which you'll be saved. And you, you know, you just want to wonder, why didn't the angel just tell him? Because 
The onus is on men to propagate the gospel. Angels were not charged to propagate the gospel. Do you understand that? It was men who were asked to go into all the world and teach the gospel. So the angel can point you to Peter so that Peter will tell you what you need to hear to be saved. The angel won't tell you. And so, whilst you read the Pauline prayer and you pray it over yourself, that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light, you know, and that you know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, you must reckon that the book itself is the answer to that prayer. That after you have prayed the prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 to 20 thereabout, you must also continue chapter 2, chapter 3, because the answer to that prayer is in the same book. Do you, do you get what I just said? So after you have prayed, then you find a good church. You plant yourself there because that is how that prayer will be answered. Which leads me to the second key word in that verse, Philippians 1.25. It says, I will continue with you. Can I tell you something? Growth takes consistency. And I want to thank you Maybe this is your second Sunday, your third Sunday, your fourth Sunday. We're glad you've been coming, but it will take more than that. For anything that will stand the test of time, you will have to give it time. Continue. Paul says, I will continue with you. There has to be a consistency to it. So that when you plant a seed in the soil... No matter your prayer, your, no matter your fasting, it's going to take time. It just must go through its process. There's nothing you can do about it. You must plant it. After you've done all that you need to do, you've chosen the right soil, you've put manure, you know, with exposure to sunlight, you've watered it, you've planted the seed, you must go and give it time. Nothing else you can do. Sitting beside it will not make it grow faster. There's just a time factor. Listen, believe me when I say this. God sent us here to change your life. To put a fire in your life that will carry you for a lifetime. Believe me. Maybe you are new in this church. Research on us. Let me tell you something. There are different graces in the body of Christ. And that's part of the things I'm going to explain in the camp meeting. Everybody's call will determine the functions and the giftings that they have. It's natural. So if you don't know what this lactin is designed to do, by what it can do, by your observation, you can tell what it was created to do. That's how it works. Do you understand what I just said? So, for instance, um, this TV has a stand. Because of what the stand is meant to do, there is a height requirement. The chair doesn't need that. So by the height requirement, you can tell what the stand is meant to do. And it's the same in the body of Christ. 
when you see different offices, that's why you have to understand the diversity. God is so wise. When you see how prophets operate, there is a grace for what they are meant to do. Prophets are supposed to be able to stand before kings, declare the word of God, whether you like it or yes. Throughout the Bible, that was their function, and one of their functions. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so when you see, you know, some men of God, they don't, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. They talk the way it is in their heart. Have you, have you seen people like that before? And I'm not making excuse for people. But sometimes, the call conditions people in a particular way. A pastor is a shepherd. A prophet very likely has no congregation. So he doesn't really have that human relationship. His own is to come. Elijah can be in the mountain. Everybody's looking for him. Then he will come, say his own, and go. What he will say can scatter everybody. But his call is not to gather. Go and read one. What the Lord told Jeremiah. He said, I'm sending you to build, to root down. Before he said build, all the other things were negative. To root out, to uproot. With words, though. Are you getting what I'm saying? And, and you see, they might be strange. Like John the Baptist, choice of food, choice of dressing. I don't even know why I'm saying this. You know, but when you see, maybe someone who has a pastoral call, more people friendly, they all have their places. When you see someone who is an apostle, an apostle has a grace. An apostle can enter a city. The city opens up fast. Through miracles, through the word, you know. So if, if an apostle starts a walk, it's going to pick up fast. He can hand over and move to another city. It's one of the graces of an apostle. An apostle also has the capacity to function in all the ministry gifts. And, and, that's, and the reason is because he's supposed to go to, be able to go to a place where the name of God is not being honored and start a fresh work. So everything that is lacking, he can stand in those offices tentatively. Do the work of a prophet, do the work of an evangelist, do the work of, so that when the work is established, the people who have those core gifts can then take over and then he will move on. When you see an apostle many times, you don't really know. Like, sometimes he will function so strong in the prophetic, you'll be confused. So strong in evangelism, because of the way he's moving around, you'll be confused. So strong as a pastor, you'll be confused. And I just said all of that to say this. There are some things I will explain later. You know, normally... When it comes to um, the system of nobility in our social construct, there are some things you shouldn't say. And, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. You know, um, if you see someone maybe on social media saying, I'm rich, I have this, people, people will be like, ah, don't say that. In our kingdom, it's totally different. In our kingdom, you must say who you are. Otherwise, you will not be who you are. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? 
So when Jesus was done with his fasting, he went to the temple and he took the book and he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He read it boldly. When he was done, the Bible says all eyes were on him. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled before your eyes. Normally, you shouldn't say that about yourself. You must be modest. But in our kingdom, you must. If he said it about you, you must boldly say it about yourself. I remember when I received the call, you know, as a student. Nobody knew about it. But the grace began to follow me. So we were registering for a new semester. I went to a lecture I'd never seen before. And I said, I, said, I brought my course form, and he was just, and after a while he stopped. He looked up. He said, are you a pastor? <laughs> just no church environment. I, and then, if you know me, out there, I don't necessarily use all those religious calisthenics, bless you. No, I don't. <laughs> if I need to say, how are you doing? I'll say, how are you doing? Good morning. You look nice. That's my style. If I want to flow spiritually, I flow. I don't need the religious, do you understand? Personal style, all right? So I didn't do all of those things. I didn't wear a suit. There was nothing that could give me away from an intellectual or observational standpoint. She looked at me. He said, there's something about you. Are you a pastor? I was about to say the usual thing. That, you know, there are some things you learn in church about modesty, that I'm just a child of God. You know, and the Lord said, don't say that. Tell him. So that was the first time I said it with my mouth. I said, yes. He said, I knew it. The moment you stepped into this office, the atmosphere changed. That's what he said. Praise the name of the Lord. So I said that so that you excuse me, you know, when I, you know, when, when Paul tells, you know, a church, he says, if I'm not an apostle to everybody else, doubtless I am to you. So it's important I say this so that you understand part of the graces, you know, at work in this ministry. When you see people who have attended this church one year, and you hear them talk, you'll be amazed. If you've observed what I'm saying, tell me. Is that true? It's a grace. I'm saying this respectfully. Prophets don't really have the grace to reproduce themselves because God handpicks from generation to generation. Are you getting what I'm saying? But it takes an office and a grace to be able to reproduce yourself. that a ministry of eight years old can have at least 30 people, and I'm being modest with that, at least 30 people can preach this morning, and you will be, when I mean thoroughly blessed, <laughs> they don't need much notice, maybe four hours. Four hours is plenty. They'll say, oh, can you preach for me tomorrow? They will handle it well. It's a grace. And I'm saying that because of you. If God led you here, stay. Because chances are that he brought you here because of the assignment he has for you. 
Let me tell you this. Remember what I said. In our kingdom, you must say it the way it is. Because pride is not a statement. It is a motive. Did you hear what I said? When, if, if you judge pride by statements, Paul is one of the most arrogant people you've ever met. And say, I'm a wise master builder. You have many instructors, but not many fathers. You know, Paul said, are they apostles? I'm more. <laughs> You'd be like, what kind of guy is this? And all he said is true. Celebration Church is one of the soundest training centers in the entire world. When it comes to spiritual discipleship, if you don't grow here, give up. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, God sent us for you. And by the way, forget about all the Jesus movies you watched. They all missed something very fundamental. The average age of the guys that always acted Jesus, by looking at them, what's the average age? By looking at them. Forties. And that did something to you psychologically. Now you look at someone like me and say, I'm a young pastor. I'm not young. Jesus was my age mate when he was doing the ministry he was doing. He looked just like me. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not a young pastor. This is the ideal age for ministry in the Bible. <laughs> so it's very ridiculous for you to come to a church like this and maybe because you are older and you know, your culture is affecting him. Man, you would have had an issue. And newsflash, I don't know what you think you will see when you see Jesus. Because he will look the way he looked in his early ministry. And you're going to see someone in his 30s. And guess what? You will bow down. You will worship and gladly so. So there is a principle not to discern anyone after the flesh in the kingdom. It's a principle. He might be your brother, don't discern after the flesh. He might be your... Can I tell you something? One of the people who has so humbly demonstrated what I'm telling you is my mom. My mom comes for reboot camp. And then when I'm ministering to everybody and I'm getting to her... The cultural side of me is like, you know, because outside church, I can greet her like this. Do you understand? But can I tell you something? When the spirit of the Lord comes on, even a donkey, and the donkey is talking, better listen. I'm telling you something that has happened. The donkey has spoken in the Bible, Abby. Uh -huh. So it doesn't matter the person. It doesn't matter if the spirit is on the person. Listen, no. And so even when I'm coming close to her and I'm, I'm like, is this about to happen? By the time I see the way she, you know, the first time this happened was in school. I called her and I said, uh, I, I just took an exit. Don't worry if you don't know what that means. <laughs> but the university I attended, you take permission to go out. Yeah. But <laughs> so I called her to say, I'm coming home today. And she was like, oh, Praise God. 
And I was like, oh, why did you say that? And she said, your brother has been sick for a long time. He has been treated twice, taking two different sets of medication, and he has not been better. I'm glad you're coming home. He'll be healed. I remember like it was yesterday. With the phone still in my ear, I felt the power of God from my hand. He just came down like, you know, that kind of faith stirs up something. Praise the Lord. And I did go home and the boy was healed. Glory be to God. So, God brought you here for a reason. God is raising an army. <laughs> and if you don't understand what I'm saying, give it time. You, you, you'll be amazed. Six months, one year, people will look at you and be like, what happened? You know, I remember when, you know, the Lord began to change my life radically. My best friend there, then, he got a little violent one day. He locked the door. He said, sit down. And I sat down. He said, what's, what's going on, Dami? He said, tell me what you are doing. <laughs> he said, is it not the same prayer? It's not the same. I looked at him. He was not joking, no. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Because in our kingdom, there are some things that are for, hey, when God wants to preserve Jacob and his household, his plan and his strategy is to make Joseph prime minister. And he's doing that to preserve if he does not do that, famine will kill the entire family. He picks one person, makes him prime minister. But guess what? Everyone must be in understanding. You must just trust the motives of God. Because initially, Joseph will begin to dream dreams and see his brothers bowing. If you allow the jealousy push you to kill Joseph, you have died. Oh. You may not know it. But when you see someone rising by grace, you may not know the mathematics yet, but just know it is for you. Because that's how God functions. Long story short, I came to Lekki for you. Take advantage of this opportunity. If you don't, mark my words. And I'm not saying this out of, I'm saying this with humility. If you don't, God will ask you. God will ask you. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Say thank you, Jesus. All right, turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 5 to 8. It's a text you know very well. I'm going to read from the NLT just to give a different perspective to this. Thank you, Jesus. Patalabotokofrekes. Valenostes. You, you know you can receive a healing now, right? You can. You can. You can. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. NLT says, You must have the same attitude that Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave 
and was born as a human being, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is so important. Can I tell you something? When we think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, just like we sang in the song before I started, you think of your redemption. He died for my sins. He rose for my justification. Oh, I'm saved. I believe in him. I'll never die. But can I tell you something? The same theology has different applications. The same theology of salvation is the same theology for consecration. So in salvation, I receive the redemptive work. He died for me. He rose again. In consecration, I imitate. Are you getting what I'm saying? So what is to be received in redemption is to be imitated in consecration. He says, let this mind be in you. Please, are you with me? This, this is so important. Can I tell you something? It is just the normal principle of life. As a child, you don't really know how your food is being prepared. You're hungry, you cry. And food shows up. All right? Like God told me years ago. He says, children are the responsibility of the, responsibility of the kingdom, but sons are responsible for the kingdom. There comes a time in your life where you just have to stand up and take responsibility. And if your only perspective to what Christ did was reception, oh, he died for me. I, you love me. I cannot say why you love me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's wonderful and it's true. But there comes a point in your life as it pertains to spiritual growth. He said, let this mind, not just the provision, but the mentality behind it. There is something to learn from. And he says, he was in very essence God. This was God. Yet, he did not consider equality to God something to cling to. He laid aside his divine privileges. Took on the form of a servant. He was obedient even unto death. Think about that. Listen, can I tell you something? Just in case you don't know, if all the redemptive requirement was only for Jesus to be born as a man, it's humiliating enough. You don't understand what I'm saying. Just imagine that because of the kindness you want to show to anybody, maybe to the animal kingdom, you have to be, be a dog for 33 and a half years. What do you think that's going to be like? Just in case you don't know, the difference between God and man is infinitely greater than the difference between man and dog. <laughs> in case you don't know. It takes more humility to become a man when you were God than to become a dog when you were a man. And so that's why, now, you may stand in front of the mirror and like what you see, and what you see is beautiful. It's beautiful for a different reason. I'll tell you why. But he says he humbled himself. To become a man was humility. <laughs> he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. <laughs> that he looked like you, he called it servanthood. And you don't understand 
what it means to be the song of heaven, the song of all creation. You know, the morning stars sang for joy. You know, at the beginning of the world, you know, you are used to all of this. The oceans, they clap their hands. The mountains keep like rams. And then now you are, you, you are born into this world as a human being. And the Bible says he came unto his own. His own did not receive him. Some of you cannot take it when children pass you without greeting. Now imagine being God. And you're walking around for many years. How awkward would it have been? Nobody is greeting. Nobody is falling. You know, nobody is, you know. And your eyes are open. You can see the spirit realm. The angels are, you know. And then guys are like, some will see you, they won't greet you. Alpha. They're like, <laughs> it'll take some getting used to. Are you getting what I'm saying? As if that's not enough. Then eventually they arrest you. And they begin to beat you. They slap you. They remove your clothes. And the angels are clenching their fists like, hey. It will be this, bros. Just, just one finger. Make a chip their eye. You know, <laughs> you know, you don't. Do you know it takes just one angel to kill all the human beings on earth? <laughs> Read your Bible. Check the statistics. One. <laughs> they cover his eye. They slap him. Who prophesied? They are laughing. Think about the fact that at any point he could have changed his mind. Maybe he just, he was going through everything, tolerating it, eventually on the cross, with the nails. Someone just said something, he said, I know what You know, he could literally, you know, you know, I know what You know. And just <laughs> elevate, take off. He endured it because of you. The Bible says he despised the shame. Despised the shame. So now he says, let this mind be in you. If he could lay aside those great privileges, you can lay aside privileges for the service of God. You can. So now, this is a training on consecration. I care too much what people say. But what about Jesus? The person who really should have cared. Who had more to be concerned about. Who had every justification to care. How can I create people and they don't greet me? And then they try to kill me. And in fact, they did. Ha! Huh. And think about the fact that on his way to the cross, his spirit was still not broken. After all that he went through on the cross, he could still... Listen, if you don't get this, you've missed the entire point. Do you know the kind of fortitude of spirit it would take to have been beaten the way Jesus was beaten, to have had to carry the cross all the way to Golgotha, and then to have seven-inch Roman nails 
driven through your wrist and right there, you still think about the welfare of your mom. You hand her over to John. He say, mom, behold your son. Son, behold. You are thinking about her. That if I go, who will take care of her? Do you know what it means? You, when you're having a bad day, you shout at people and you expect everybody to understand, I'm having a bad day. You stop being nice to people. You stop being considerate because of the bad day you are having. He had nails in his wrists, nails in his legs, and he could still think of other people. When he was going to the cross, women were crying. They said, weep not for me. <laughs> eh? Is it not bad? Is it not you I'm dying for? You will weep, oh. <laughs> what do you mean weep not? You are not in, go and call your family members. People will weep. <laughs> what do you mean weep not for me? I'm just like. And he said, let this mind be in you. What is it that you think you cannot lay aside for the service of God? What are you concerned about? What your friends will say? Is that what you're concerned about? He said, let this mind be in you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So, you see, Christ is not just a redeemer. Or your redeemer, he's your example. He's your redeemer in salvation. He's your example in consecration. This is so important. He's your example. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as sacrifice for us. So listen, that message is the message that got you saved. And now this is the same message preached for consecration. He loved us, sacrificed himself. You believed that to be saved. Now you have to believe this to give your life to Christ. And I don't mean in salvation. You know, people, when they say give your life to Christ, they mean salvation. That's not salvation. You can't give Christ your life in salvation. Christ gave you his life. That's the message. Not that you give him your life, but that you receive his life. So when you receive your, his life, then in turn, you give him your life in consecration. It's not mere semantics, it's important. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, I, want to, I just want you to see how often the Bible talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourself also with the same mind. The suffering of Christ is not just to be received as a redemptive sacrifice. It is to be imitated in consecration. Arm yourself, he says, with the same mind. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He says, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. 
It's an example. Not just a message to receive and be saved, an example to follow. So what is there to learn? Number one, you can and you should lay aside your privileges so that you can serve. Lay aside your privileges so that you can serve. The principle of consecration is simply this. God is more important than anything I have. Therefore, I can give everything I have for God. Let me say, take that again. The principle of consecration is simply this. God is more important than anything I have. Therefore, I can give everything I have for God. Let me tell you something. If verbally or internally you have not come to this point of conviction, you have created an avenue for Satan to tempt you. If there is anything that you idolize that stands toe-to-toe with God in your heart, you are, you are making yourself susceptible to temptation because he's going to come. You have to understand that spirits don't die. And the same mentality Satan had in the Bible is the same mentality he has. So he will come, you know, just like he did in the case of Job. Say, you know, it's because you've blessed him. That's why he's serving you. If you take this one away, take the car away. You know, you know what? <laughs> Let me tell you, I will say this once. Maybe I will not say it again. Is it not hilarious that Job lost everything he had except his wife? He lost everything. And the wife said, ah, cause God and died. <laughs> so imagine telling Satan, ah, he forgot the wife. He said, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> Listen, there are several good wives in the Bible. Several. <laughs> oh, you left the wife. I know. Trust me, I know. <laughs> Hallelujah. They were also very foolish men in the Bible. But that is just, anyway, where was I? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you don't keep anything in your heart. Don't wait till you're tempted. When you see you have an inordinate appreciation for anything in your life above God, deal with it. That there must be nothing in your life. That you would rather hold to than hold to God. It's important. So even if you don't still understand, you know, the young rich ruler and Jesus, but as difficult as it is, the fact that one moment you were interested in eternal life, the next moment because of the requirement, you turn your back on Jesus literally. And go home. How were you able to sleep that night?
just imagine the drama at the end of his life. He now sees the same Jesus sitting on his judgment seat. How would the conversation go? And then here is another thing to learn from Jesus. In a world where the will of God was not popular, he stood his ground. Can I tell you something? This one you will need. I've been telling you since this series started, there is a way to serve God. If you don't serve God according to the prescribed way, you will have a lot of trouble. You know what he said? He said, if you want to follow me, he said, take up your cross. Take up your cross. You can't follow God except you are dead to self. This is the problem of modern Christianity. We want to combine things. We still love ourselves so much. And we want to have, you know, sprinkle religion around that. It won't work. It won't work. Let me tell you something. The gospel will never prevail in the hands of self-serving people. Never. Never. It says, take up your cross. Follow me. So, you, you must be dead to self, dead to the opinions of men, dead to, that's the way to serve. If you don't do that, you will have issues along the way. I'm telling you. Because in following God, just Im let me give you an example. Imagine you're a disciple of Jesus. Not imagine you are, but I meant, you know, in his earthly ministry. And you follow Jesus. It was work to follow Jesus, though. Maybe you've considered only the fun parts, the great times, you know, healings and all of that. But imagine this. You go to a burial. Everybody is crying. You are a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't worry, she's not dead, she's sleeping. You say, God. Why embarrass us like this? Why do you talk like this now? What, what can... The Bible says... They found the statement so ridiculous that the people who were crying stopped crying and started laughing. That this guy, you, do, you, do you know what it means? How ridiculous you have to sound for people to be laughing at a burial. Laughing at you. Has it ever happened to you that you were laughing at your friend and you, you now felt somehow a little like... You're there. And people are laughing Jesus to scorn. You're there. Guess what? There will be many precarious situations like that even today. To follow Jesus, you have to understand it is okay. They will laugh. It's okay. Because eventually, everyone who laughs will have to swallow their words. After laughing, he went inside and came out with the girl. Ah, ah. Just imagine how embarrassed those guys would have been. You were laughing. <laughs> he told you she was sleeping. You were laughing. Now he went up, went in and said, young lady, arise. And she rose up. So what are you going to say now? Let me tell you this. 
It doesn't matter how much you're enjoying your life now. The reality is we don't even have to wait for the coming of Christ. There are two different things. When Christ is coming and when you are going to meet him. He might come in 1,000 years. He might come in 10 years. He might come tomorrow. But just imagine his coming in, say, 50 years. But you might meet him before then. Think about that. Did you hear what I just said? So everything can change <laughs> in a short time. And can I tell you something? The moment that happens, the way you got there is the way you will be forever. <laughs> so consider this, this, these words you are hearing, consider them well. Hallelujah. There is life after death. This is important. Stop caring too much what people think. Hallelujah. I, would, I, I prefer to be right for all eternity than to be right on earth. And so, you have, I, I've, you know, I call it the revelation of Noah. Where even if you are the only one in the whole world who believes, it's okay. Maybe you don't understand. Some people have not read very carefully. In Noah's day, rain had never fallen before. Do you know that? Initially, water used to come from the ground for irrigation. Go and read the Bible. So, just in case you are, you are saying, ah, why wouldn't they believe Noah? Why wouldn't they believe Noah? Why wouldn't they? Think about it. When he said rain, they didn't know what he meant. That water will fall from the sky. They couldn't picture it. And because of that, they said he was lying. And now the same thing is going to happen at the end of the age. There will be another ark. But this time it's an invisible ark in the clouds with Jesus. We are saying it now. Here oh. That ark of Noah was figurative of the real ark. A spiritual ark. Spiritual ark. Hallelujah. So, it is more important to be right than to be liked. If you are Noah and you know the world will be destroyed, say it. And even scientists know that this world will not last forever. They just don't know how it will end. We know. Say it with your chest. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll just share a few thoughts and then we close. That was just Jesus' life. Listen, Jesus' ministry was going well. 
by John 6, he already had a multitude of people following him. Jesus of Nazareth Evangelical Ministry. <coughs> international. Never forget the international. Very important. Very large ministry. In three years, you're gathering this crowd. Wow. And guess what? He gives them bread. We said it. Churches need to do more for the community. Yes, this is the way to do church. Everybody liked him. But Jesus discovered something. There was something wrong. People's motives were following him were wrong. They were following him for bread, following him for miracles. And so, you have to understand, these people were facing heavy taxation. And in a time like that, someone is multiplying bread. Ah, they wanted to take him and make him king. And he saw that the focus was lost. And he was willing to lose everything to stay in the will of God. And then he preached one sermon that ruined everybody. Ruined everything. They came. They said, where is the bread? And guess what? The people who were talking to him, they are not idiots. They know the Bible too. They said, we believe you are a prophet. Moses was a prophet. He fed us. Sound theology, don't you know? Moses was a prophet and he was raining down bread. We believe in your government. <laughs> Shake body, do this thing. And Jesus said, I am the bread. <laughs> Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Problem. Problem. Another problem. <laughs> and in one day, his mega church reduced back to 12. Do you know what I mean? Do, if, you, if you have a big church that reduces to 12 members, what do you think people will say about you? He's straight from the will of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. But to have that kind of security where, I mean, everything can go, it's okay. It's okay. Let everybody go. I would stay in the will of God. It's a perspective. It says, let this mind be in you. Some of you, there are things you ought to have done. Now, as I'm talking to you, you have not done it because of what your friends would think. What people would think. What will people say? This thing has hindered people from destiny. What will people say? It has put you under pressure. What will people say? At this stage of my life, I should have this. At this stage of my life, I should be doing this. And now, it, it has ended your discernment. You don't even know. Now, God can't even speak to you because you will only hear what is consistent with your desires. Do you know that? <laughs> that if you are Peter and you are hungry, and while you are waiting for people to feed you, to cook your food, you sleep. If God wants to speak to you, he has to speak to you through food. Do you know? Don't worry. Conversation for another day. Maybe it never occurred to you. Why did God have to speak to him through food? Is it a coincidence that he was hungry and he slept off? And in a trance, he saw animals take, kill, and eat. You think it's a coincidence? Hallelujah. 
Come on, I said hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read this text, another text, and we end it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. From verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. <laughs> oh my goodness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh. Hallelujah. Listen. Embrace it with your chest. They may call you foolish all your life, and it's okay. It's there. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 21, for since the, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message. Ay, 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 ay. It pleased God that through the foolishness of... Do you know how foolish what you believe sounds? Oh, there was God who became man. Yeah, he was still God, but he was also man. And he died. God died. He rose again the third day. He ascended to the sky. And one day he's going to come back riding on a white horse in the clouds. He would tear the skies open riding on a white horse, and they will meet him. You know, sounds like fairy tale, right? <laughs> Wear the badge of foolishness with pride. If that is foolishness, may I never be wise. Because guess what? It is going to happen. It is going to happen. It says, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. Listen, I don't know where people get a seeker-sensitive model of ministry when you see texts like this. Some people say, find out what the people want and give them. That's not what the Bible says. It says, the Jews request what? A sign. And the Greeks seek what? So for the Greeks, just have plenty of business conferences. For the Jews, have miracle services. You'll get them. But what did he say? But we! We're not trying to give the people what they want. The message, message is objective. Listen, in Christ, we work miracles. But we are not doing it, you know, to encourage the carnality of men. If you don't want Jesus and you want the miracles, you are wrong. It says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. Christ crucified, we wanted a political messiah. We wanted activism. How can we be colonized by the Roman Empire and your Messiah came and said nothing about it. We asked him about taxation. He said, give to God what belongs to God, Caesar, what belongs to Caesar. And your Messiah died. After his resurrection, the disciples asked him, 
Oh, when will the kingdom be restored? You know what he said? It's not your business to know the times and the seasons which God has in his, time, in, in his power. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. He was particular about the message. We want political revolution. You're talking about this gospel that you died and somehow that benefits us. It says that's the wisdom of God. He has brought to nothing the wisdom of men. It says through the foolishness of preaching, what might appear to be foolish, he has demonstrated his power. It is foolish to the world. It is power of God to us. Say loud amen if you believe. Jews a stumbling block. They stumble at that. How can your Messiah die? Even though the movies actors don't die. By the time they knew it was too late. Because when he died, everything changed. At about 12 in the afternoon, everywhere became dark. Hey God, have you read the story? Everywhere became dark. There was an earthquake the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Someone observing said, ah, indeed, this was the son of God. One day all men will know, but it will be late for some. This is the time. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. He says we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. It's foolish. Hallelujah. But to us is the power of God. Do you believe it this morning? Just thank him right now. Thank him. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the blood. Thank him for the blood. Thank him for the blood. Hallelujah. So when you're talking about sold out, a crucial aspect of it is to embrace the word of God. No matter what anyone says. You know what the, the, the psalmist said to you in Psalm chapter 1? He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's being poetic here. He's not talking about postures particularly. When he says stand or sit, or you know, he's not saying, okay, if you stand, that's the way sinners stand. He's not describing the way sinners stand. He's saying poetically have nothing to do with them. Blessed is the man. There is a blessing in this. Don't walk the way they walk. Don't talk the way they talk. Don't stand. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Hallelujah. So in a generation that is wise in the wisdom of men, you must beg to differ on many issues. And it's okay. They will laugh, but it's okay. There is a blessing in this. Listen. He says, blessed are you when men revile you for my sake. There is a blessing in that. They might scorn at you and laugh at you, but it's okay. You embrace it with your chest. It's, listen, it's a training you must have in God. A fortitude. So when they ask you and you say, yes, this is what I believe. No matter where the interview is happening, even if it's on CNN, say what you believe. I'm telling you this because I'm preparing you for the coming age. You will be asked. You will be, listen, the spotlight will beam on you. They will lure you to compromise. He said, blessed is the man. 
There is a way to walk. There is a way to talk. There is a way to stand. There are places you should never be found. It says, the Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ. Listen, I am trying to be as patriotic as I can be. But there is also a message. The world may not even understand the urgency. I wish I had enough time to talk about this. I noticed some funny statements, some funny vibes on the internet. That because of maybe coronavirus and the things that happened in the U.S., Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and the things that happened in Nigeria, Lekki Massacre, someone even, you know, put in his caption, he said, because of this, I even doubt if there's a God. How did we get here? We have commercialized Christianity. Like God exists for us, you know, to pamper us, to make sure we are okay. And that, that at the slightest inconvenience, we are now doubting if there is a God. Have you read the Bible well? Have you seen the thing? So what, what happened to the generation that was ready to give up their belongings? To keep the testimony of Christ. You know, we have noticed in this generation, we read the part of Hebrews 11 that we like. They stop the mouth of lion. They quench the fire. You know, but it didn't end there. It says some were sown as that. Meaning, for their testimony, the testimony of Christ, they were divided in half. Isaiah was divided into two. It says some lost their children. They were heroes of, heroes of faith too. Listen, you have not understood consecration and spiritual maturity if you think that God is unfaithful because you go through hardship. Go and read the Bible well. Go and read those references I gave you in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 4. It says Christ made us, left us an example that it's okay even in the will of God things can go bad. The people who killed Jesus thought they were doing God's service. And it was okay. And Jesus knew it was going to be painful. I hope he didn't fall your hand that that garden gets him any. He cried. He said, if there's any way out, let me take it. Let this cup pass over. It, the suffering was going to be real. And in a world that sees misfortune... As a sign that you are out of favor with God. As they were beating Jesus, he was in the will of God. As they arrested him, he was in the will of God. As they nailed him. When people say, God, why? You, don't, you have not read your Bible well. As they put nails in his wrist, he was in the will of God. When he died, he was in the will of God. And when he rose, he was in the will of God. So that's the theology. Let this mind be in you. He went so far in consecration and then God took it from there. He says, God also has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name. It says that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on the earth, of things beneath the earth. This is the system of honor in the kingdom. He says, if you are reviled for my sake, if you suffer persecution for my sake, blessed are you. That's 
the theology on which the redemptive sacrifice is hinged. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. He says, that's an example for you. Take the challenge. Hallelujah. Until this generation knows that we cannot be stopped. We cannot be lured from our position. Nothing can. We must talk like Paul and say, what can separate us from the love of God? What? Shall tribulation or peril or distress or famine or nakedness? Some people say, God, bless me and I'll know you are God. That's not Bible theology. Bible theology says even nakedness cannot separate me. Even famine cannot separate me. It says, for it is written, we are counted as sheep for slaughter, meaning we are ready to die. It says, yea, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen, if you give him your lifetime, he will take care of you. Sounds like a song, Abi. Trust him with your life. To save your life is to lose it. Listen, if God calls you and out of self-preservation, you keep yourself, you have lost your life. That's what the Bible teaches. If it calls you to ministry and you say, ah, my friends, you know, see how well they are doing. You know, I'm not going to do it. You've lost your life. It says, he that saves his life shall lose it. It says, he that loses his life for my sake and for the gospels shall find it. I want to challenge you. Let this be a radical change in your perspective to Christianity. Before you have been following God without a cross. He said, take your cross first, then follow. Meaning, from day one, as you're following, you know one day, they might put a sword to your neck and say, do you still believe? <laughs> That's when you... <laughs> oh, my dear Jesus. Thank you, dear Father. Please rise to your feet. Listen to me. Think about all that Jesus went through. All that he went through. And think about the fact that he saw something that made all that he was going through worth it. Maybe no one has sold the idea of eternity well. It is so rewarding that whatever you need to suffer in this world to keep it is worth it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust God? Just tell him right now. You have a few seconds. Tell him right now. Just tell him, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I won't argue. I embrace your wisdom. It might sound foolish to men, but I embrace it. And I thank you for it. I thank you. I thank you.
And right now, as his divine x-ray goes through you, any aspect of your life that you have kept from his influence, surrender it to him. You say, take my life and let it be consecrated unto you. Take my moment and my days. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite will I withhold. Take my life, it is your own. Give it all to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Father, we thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your word. We are doers of your word. You've left us an example to follow. We follow in your footsteps. We imitate you. Because your spirit is at work in us. We present our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. We present our bodies. (laughs) Thank you, Father. And we're going to carry this message with a force that cannot be hindered. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It says, and they loved not their life unto death. That's how to overcome. We overcome the same way with a different depth of understanding of consecration. We surrender ourselves. We march unhindered and unrestricted. Thank you, Father, because grace is made available to us. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Come and say loud, amen, somebody. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. Blessings.